Let's uh, begin as we always should begin, and sometimes as an old man I forget. Uh, I think Joe is going to come and read the text. As you know, we've been making our way through John chapter 12. I hope you have a Bible or electronic device. Uh, You can follow along. We're going to begin in verse 27 and uh, down through verse 34. Uh, John chapter 12, beginning in verse 27 down to verse 34. Let's stand as... as, uh, Joe comes and reads the text. Now my soul has come. Sorry. Now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So the crowd of people who stood by and heard it were saying that it had thundered. Others were saying, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the, from the earth, will draw all men to myself. But he, had, he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. The crowd then answered him, We have heard out of the law that the Christ is to remain forever. And how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Amen. This is the Word of God. Be seated. So, how many of you guys memorize Scripture? I used to. You used to, and you stopped because... (laughs) I'll put you on the spot. Obviously, it's a good practice. Obviously, it's a good practice. Um, It's good to have God's Word hidden in your heart, and you can pull it up when you need to. Um, at my advanced age, I'm not particularly good anymore with the, uh, and I know that's a bad excuse, but um, with the word for word, but I, 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 can, kill some, I can kill some paraphrases. And, um, but there is one verse that I have committed to memory, worked hard on it. Um, maybe Johnny can check me on this. Johnny, go to 1 Thessalonians 5.16. You can check me on this. Why are you laughing, Blessing? Yeah. I think, it, I think it goes rejoice always. Is that right? Okay. I know what you're thinking. We're paying this guy too much money. Um, but there's a reason I love that verse. It's not because it's short. It's because that's really... Our confession as Christians, amen? If we really know the living God. As Paul says, we can be sorrowful, yet, anybody know? Always rejoicing. I love that verse, again, not because it's short, but because it's full of of theology. It's who God is. It's what God's done. It's what God's promised. Amen? We will rejoice always. We will never not rejoice in all that God is and all that God has done. This is the signature of our lives. Right? We talked about it last week. The world is to smell God on you. That's the, one of the aromas of our life is that we can rejoice even if we're in the midst of grief and sorrow. We rejoice in the fact that our God is God. Our God is sovereign. Amen? So, 
it's just who he is. It's why I love the verse. Just a surface uh, theology lesson. Um, I love what Paul says to Timothy. He, he, he calls God the blessed God. What does it mean? What does blessed mean? Anybody know? What's the simple, you know, common parlance of, of the day? What does it mean to be blessed? To be happy. He is the happy God. He's the full God. Right? Creation and providence is simply the overflow of God's infinite exuberance for His own excellence. That's John Piper, for those of you who don't know. He's an infinitely happy God. He's full. From an eternity past, Father, Son, and Spirit in the, in the Godhead. Full. Self-sufficient. In need of nothing. God doesn't create because He's lonely. God creates because He's full. Right? And God means to share Himself with His creation. It's what God is doing in, at least in part, in redemption. You know why God's created if you've been in this uh, church very long. It's a question that comes up a lot because it's so foundational. Why does God create? You know the answer. What was it? We saw it in John 11. Why was uh, Lazarus ill? What was that about? What? The glory of God. And we, you know, I challenge you. Is that your first thought when uh, you're ill or someone in your family is ill? Is that your first thought? This is about the glory of God? Almost none of us think like this. God means for us to think like this. Why does God create for His glory? I, uh, I found a great quote that, uh, this last week, uh, and I want to share it with you. Uh, it's, it's Jonathan Edwards. Why does God create? Listen to what he says. God made the world that He might communicate and the creature might receive His glory. This is what we've been saying in young adult Bible study and what we've been seeing in the Gospel of John. God is communicating Himself to His people, right? He doesn't just simply manifest Himself or put Himself on display. He's actually communicating Himself to your soul. Now, if you can't get excited about this, you <laughs> there's something bad wrong. Um, God is giving Himself to us. Edwards continues, the creature to receive His glory and that it might be received both by mind and by heart. I borrowed that Piper quote just a moment ago. Let me just... Finish it up for you. In creation, God went public with the glory that reverberates joyfully between the Father and the Son. There's something about the fullness of God and God's joy that inclines it to overflow so the eternal happiness of the triune God spills over in the work of creation and redemption. All His works are simply the overflow of His infinite exuberance for His own excellence. I love that quote. I read that quote and three years later I was in seminary. I don't know if there's a connection. Um... Infinite exuberance. That's what you want. Right? That's what you want. And that's who God is. That's who God is. So, rejoice always. Why? Because our God is God. Our God is awesome. Our God is revealing Himself. Our God is communicating Himself. For a billion eternities, God will be communicating Himself to His people. 
And as Joe and I were talking earlier, you never get to the end after a billion eternities. There's still an infinite amount of God you still don't know. You still haven't discovered. I love this, man. I love this eternal, infinite kind of romance that sits before us as Christians. So God's redemption of man was unspeakably costly to Himself. Jesus starts talking about His death. We saw it last week, right? Lest a grain of wheat fall uh, into the earth, it, it does not bring forth fruit. He's talking about His own death. But we know what Hebrews 12.2 says, For the joy set before Jesus, He endured the cross. And here's the cool thing. The joy that was big enough to swallow up the cross, the heinous nature uh, of the cross, is the joy God brings to His people, right? The joy of the Redeemer is the joy of the redeemed. You say, Jim, I don't have much joy in my life. I say that's on you. If you call yourself a Christian, that's on you. Divine joy is available to all who will cry out to God for it. In Matthew 13, um, there are... It's just that great chapter of, of parables where Jesus is talking about true conversion. You've got the parable of the soils, the wheat and the tares, the mustard seed, uh, the hidden treasure, the leaven, and the pearl of great price. And I'm going to turn there just very quickly and uh, read Matthew 13.44. Many of you will know this verse. The kingdom of heaven is like what? A treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid. And from joy... Okay? Why do, you come, why do you come to Christ? To escape hell? No. You know, the doctrine of hell doesn't convert anybody. What converts men and women and boys and girls is a glimpse of Christ and the joy He offers. You know, if you hate God, you're going to hate Him even more in hell. Okay? Hell is true. But hell doesn't, the doctrine of hell doesn't convert it's the beauty of God and the life of God and the joy of God. He continues, From joy over it, He goes and He sells all that He has and He buys the field. Why does the man buy the field? What does the text say? Why does the man, why does the man want Jesus? So he can stay out of hell? No! Because he's recognized what he was created for. He was created for joy. He was created for the, the joy of God. That's why you're created. That's why you're walking the planet. Now, if you think you're walking the planet for any lesser reason, you've not understood why your Creator made you. Amen? We, Jesus says it like three or four times in the Gospels. I give you my joy. If I had time, I'd go to them, but I won't for the sake of time, go through those texts. I love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase here of Matthew 13.44. He says, the finder is, and if you're born again, you understand, the finder is ecstatic. Right? The finder is ecstatic. That's what it's like to meet Jesus Christ. It's true conversion. A joy is born in the heart. It's not... Wow, I don't have to worry about hell. You know, only nominal Christians think like that. Only unregenerate Christians and lukewarm Christians think like that. The true believer, the born-again believer, 
has glimpsed his treasure and he is in love. And we talked about this last week, I think it was, Matthew 6.21, for where your treasure is, tell me, your heart will be there. <laughs> you know, um, so I'll just ask you, where's your heart? You know how you know? You guys are smart. You know how you know. It's what you love, desire, want, and think about the most. That's what it is. That's your treasure. Without fail, you can know your treasure. There's not any confusion about it. (laughs) Not if you're intellectually honest. There's no confusion here. (laughs) I know what I love the most. I know what I desire the most. I know what I think about the most. I know. I really know. I can fool you. You can fool me. But you know and God knows what your real treasure is. I submit to you that let Jesus be your treasure if you really want to live, (laughs) right? If you want to live this life as God intends. And we talked about it last week. Jesus says to go with Him, it's, it's, it's hard. We've, we've been, it's, it's been cool because in our young adult study, it's been, it's been uh, supporting what we've been seeing in John. Jesus says, you know, pick up your parasol and your balloons and we'll take a run through the park. Is that what He says? If you want to follow me, take your parasol, blow up your balloons, and we'll run through the park together. Is that what Jesus says? What did He say? Pick up your what? Cross and what? Come with me. It's like we saw last week, the Greeks. The Greeks wanted to see Jesus. And Philip and Andrew, I could, as, as I read between the lines, you can, you can see Philip and Andrew turn and ask the Greeks, do you really want to go there when Jesus starts talking about the cross? Do you really want to see Jesus? Do you really want to know Jesus? Do you really want to walk with Jesus? And we talked about this too. And I'm going to get into the text in just a minute. When Jesus talks like this, If you want to follow me, pick up your cross and come. Do you hear gain or do you hear loss? This is another way of really... This is another line of demarcation. <laughs> do you, when Jesus starts talking like this, do you hear gain or loss? The true believers hearing gain... You know, as one theologian said, as we talked about last week, don't don't tell people what you've given up for Jesus because you haven't given up anything, really. There is a sense in which we do, but in the ultimate sense, we don't give up anything. It's like giving up dirt for gold, right? So, and you guys know the most famous gain and loss passage in the Bible, Philippians 3, 7, and 8. Paul says, and I'll abbreviate it, whatever was gained to me, I have counted those things as loss for the sake of Christ. I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them, the old King James translation, I count them as dung. So, This is the value of Jesus. The relative value of Jesus. Paul does not walk with Christ because of religious obligation. 
This is not a dutiful thing. This is a try and stop me kind of thing. And this is what I'd like to try to hand off to you, you know. You know, a try and stop me kind of faith, right? Try and stop me. Try to dissuade me. Because you can't. You can't dissuade me. You can't stop me. I'm in love with my Creator. I'm in love. He is my greatest treasure and my highest pleasure. So, Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Me. He's not talking about loss. He's actually talking about gain. Sometimes, as we heard C.S. Lewis say in the last few weeks, sometimes Christianity's hard, but it's always life, right? Sometimes it's hard, but it's always life. Do you want to live or not? Do you want the life that God gives or do you want to, you know, play a game? So Jesus is talking about life. And as we continue tonight in John chapter 12, um, we pick up here in verse 27. Jesus is 72 hours from the cross. And I would just say, if you've missed if you missed one or both of the last two sermons, I would encourage you to go out on the podcast site and download them and listen to them because they will help you as we close out. Next week gets pretty deep, okay? So it will help you as we close out John chapter 12. Jesus says, My soul, you heard the text read, My soul is troubled. He's God and He's man. We saw Him weep at the tomb of Lazarus. And we scratch our head and we go, what's this about? Well, he's the God-man. Of course God knew he was going to, you know, exercise divine power and call a dead man out of the tomb. Of course he knew it. But in his humanity, he weeped for Lazarus. And we see him in his humanity again. But I, I will assert to you, even in his deity, he is troubled. He is troubled. It's what the text says to us. So let's think about this for a minute. In His humanity, just in His human emotions, why would Jesus be troubled? He's going to be betrayed. His closest brothers will deny Him. He will re be rejected by His own people and He will be hated by the mob. That's a pretty large emotional toll. Let's think about His, let's think about his physical body. He will feel the shame of being publicly stripped naked. He will be scourged. He will feel every blow, every strike of the whip. He will feel his flesh tearing and his muscles tearing. He will feel the nails in his hands and his feet. And he will feel the dislocation of the joints. He will experience the slow suffocation of crucifixion and hanging on the cross. But what I want to say to you, and I don't want you to ever forget this, this is nothing compared to the suffering that He will experience on His divine side. Do you know why? Some of you know. Why? Why is, it, why is His suffering on, on, on the divine side much greater than on the human side? For the first time. Okay. He's been one with the Father and the Spirit from eternity past. I know your mind blows up. You can't think about eternity past, but there it is. That's how long He's been in perfect fellowship, love and communication with the Trinity. And when He hangs on that cross, all your wickedness is on Him. Holiness becomes you. 
Right? Can you imagine what it is to be holy and then have every vile sin of His people to land on Him? And what happens on the cross? What happens on the cross? What does Jesus cry out? Why have you what? Forsaken me. He was severed off from His Father during the crucifixion. This is why He's troubled. Okay? This is why He's troubled. Some of us have never thought about this before. It's not just the lash and the nails. Yeah, that's a lot. This is about being separated from His Father. In His manhood and even in His deity, Jesus says, My soul is troubled. But I read it to you a minute ago. Hebrews 12.2 But for the joy set before Him, He goes to the cross. Don't you love this? He's showing us sometimes life is hard, man. If you're going to walk with God, sometimes it's hard, but just do it for the joy. What happens when we obey God in the hard place? What happens? Someone tell me. What happens when we obey God in the hard place? He doesn't show up. No, I don't think that's right. He doesn't keep His promise. No, I think that's wrong too. What happens? God shows up. It's a, it's a God encounter. Obey God in the hard place. It's a God encounter. You get joy. You get God's joy. <laughs> I lost my job, so what? I, I, I refused to do the illegal thing. You, you lost your job, so what? I, you know? Ultimately, yeah, I know there's, I, I've been through this. I know there's some trauma there. <laughs> but God's bigger than the trauma. The promise of God's bigger. The presence of God is bigger than the trauma. Listen, don't fear trauma. Don't fear human trauma. I know we all have to learn how to process it, but our God is God. Romans 8.28 is true every day. Amen? And if you actually believe Romans 8.28 is true every day, you live radically different than if you don't believe that. So, anyway. My soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. You know, should I pray this away? Should I orchestrate some escape? No. Walk through the providence of God, trusting the, the, the faithfulness of God. You know, as an old man, it, it, one lesson I get, try to give to young people is, when it comes, when the trial comes, just receive it. James chapter 1, count it all joy. It's not the natural response. It's the godly one. <laughs> okay? It's the godly response. God's at work in your trial. And if the trial's here, God's here. Just read your Bible. You find me one example, and I'll stop preaching it that way. You find me one example where the, the, God's people are in the trial and He doesn't show up. You find me one example. I'll give you $1,000 if you can find one. Okay? And it's on tape. It's on tape. Alright. So there's a huge rhetorical no here. Jesus says, what shall I... Father, what shall I do? Say, Father, save me from this hour. And there's this huge rhetorical no. He says... But for this purpose, I came into the world. He's not going to pray it away. He's not going to try to evade it. He's not going to orchestrate a, a, a deliverance, his own deliverance. He's not going to call on the 12 legions of angels that are at his ready disposal. He's going to walk through what God has for him. It's John 11 all, all over again. 
It's like Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. It was for the glory of God. <laughs> they didn't understand it. Don't you remember at the beginning of John 11? He loved them, so He let Lazarus die. And we like, what? How is that love? Well, we talked about it. If you missed that sermon, you can go download it. Verse 27, verse 28, Jesus says, I was born for this. And then He says, Father, glorify Your name. So what do we need to learn from Jesus here? What do we need to learn? His soul is troubled. What does He do with it? What does He do with His trouble? What does He do with His troubled soul? What do you... What do you do with your troubled soul? I know what you do. You do what I do a lot. You just worry about it a lot. Right? And you just run it through your head and you run it through your heart over and over and over and over and over again and you're thinking the worst possible scenario, the worst possible scenario, the worst possible scenario. Well, God has finally taught this old man, I don't think like that anymore. You know, my flesh will want to try to do that and I will throw it off. I always start thinking about the best possible scenario. Right? I start thinking about the best possible scenario. What God might do. So what's the lesson we learned from Jesus? My heart, my soul is troubled. What are you going to do with it next time? What does Jesus say? Tell me. What does He say from the text? What does your Lord say from the text? Father, glorify Your name. That's what you're going to do next time, right? How many volunteers do I have? I have three. Well done. That's what you're going to do next time. Father, glorify Your name. Isn't that what the true believer wants? Isn't that what we want? One of my favorite verses, Romans 11.36, For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. That includes your trial. And no, you can worry your way through it, or you can open your hands and bring glory to God. And your unbelieving family members and your unbelieving uh, colleagues and friends, they watch you love God through the hard thing. This is your best evangelism. You say, Jim, I'm not a good evangelist. None of us are, okay? <laughs> okay? Nobody's a good evangelist, except for Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God. Um, but I know, I, I, I know your, strongest, your strongest day of evangelism will be when you're in the pit and you worship. When, 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 when it all hits the fan, right? And, and your family and your friends see you worship. Jesus says, what shall I say then? I came here for this. It's why you're redeemed. To make much of Christ on the hard day. Every day, but particularly the hard day. Right? Because that's when everybody's watching. Everybody's kind of discounting you as, a, uh, as some kind of crazy fundamentalist, right? Every other day. But when they watch you walk through heartache and pain and grief and loss and disaster and calamity, and you're still worshiping God, that's evangelism, man. That's evangelism. So, all things are from Him, through Him, and to Him. And I, let me just give you this montage and... 
I'll move on. That means you, your soul, your life, your body, your sexuality, your relationships, your marriage, your kids, your work, your career, your money, your hobbies, your plans, your dreams, your trials, your pain, your sicknesses, and even your death are meant to be for the glory of God. If you believe that, you will live radically different than if you don't believe that. And God has called all of us to a radical lifestyle. So what was the John 11 payoff? Lazarus died. What was the payoff? <laughs> God glorified Himself. And what happened with Mary and Martha and, and all the Jews and even Lazarus? Joy. It's just joy. Rejoice always! Don't forget it! 1 Thessalonians 5.16 Rejoice always! I've shared with you many times I've had a number of tragedies in my life. And I have discovered it's true. Some of you are so young you've never had a legitimate tragedy. Except maybe your boyfriend broke up with you or something. Um, I'm talking about a legitimate tragedy, right? Uh, or your, your internet went down. Or I lost my phone, you know. Um, legitimate tragedy. Worship. Worship. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Are you going to critique God? Jesus said, I came here for this reason. You've been redeemed for this reason, to make much of God in your trial. So we got joy that suffers up, that, that's big enough to, 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 to swallow up the cross. We've got a joy big enough for this guy in Matthew to sell everything. We've got a joy big enough for Paul to turn away from his religion and pursue Christ. It's a joy big enough for you to be a radical disciple in the world. Rejoice always. So I want you to remember this. This is one of the challenges for you from this text. The next time you're troubled, you know what to do. You go to John 12 and you do what Jesus did. You be who you're supposed to be as a Christian. Father, glorify Your name. And so, you know, you have to know Him to pray that prayer. I mean, nominal Christians don't pray like that. <laughs> they don't pray like that. Because they don't really know Him and they don't really love Him. You have to know Him and love Him to pray like that. You have to trust Him and you have to believe Him. You have to believe He's a sovereign God and can do all things. So verse 28, the Father speaks from heaven. Now, God has done this. The Father has done this several times in the ministry. Does anybody? The baptism of Jesus, He spoke audibly. Uh, at the transfiguration, the Father spoke audibly and He speaks audibly here. Did you notice what the men say? This is a... Kind of an interesting point, I think. Did you notice what the men, the men standing around say? Well, you know, the skeptics thought it was thunder. Must be a storm coming in. And, you know, the, uh, what shall we say? The mystics thought it was an angel. <laughs> I think this is a perfect picture of mankind. You know, I hear, as you might suspect in my line of work, people say, why doesn't God reveal Himself? And I always say, He has! He's everywhere. You're supposed to know He's God just from watching the sun come up. But if you don't know from watching the sun come up, you can know from reading this. And I hear it all the time. Well, I've never read that. Well, don't talk to me anymore. You know? Shut up. 
I can't have an intelligent conversation with you if you're not going to at least, you know, open the Bible and read it. God has revealed Himself. You know, I, I hear it all the time, well, I don't believe that part. I, I, I like this part, but I don't believe that part. Well, you're, you're like one of those people that, that heard God speak audibly, but you think it thundered or something, or it was an angel, or some other supernatural manifestation. This is God speaking! Listen, don't ever stay in a church that discounts this in any possible way. You, when, you know, whatever church you go to when you leave here, you go talk to the pastor and you ask him what his view of, of, of the Bible is. And if he can't give you, uh, you know, one simple answer, it's the Word of God. Totally, completely, utterly. If he can't talk to you like that, I would suggest you continue to look for a place to worship. So when you pray the prayer, Father, glorify Your, your name. <laughs> God says, yes, I will. And I will show my glory to you and you will receive my joy. I thought of a couple of verses. When you can pray, when you come to that place and you can pray, Father, glorify Your name. God says, I will never desert you or forsake you. I will never turn away from doing you good. And I just have to read Isaiah 43, one of my favorite verses, 1-3. through But now says the Lord, your Creator, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you, for I am the Lord, your God, your Savior. If you believe it, you'll do what Jesus did. When your soul is troubled, you'll say, glorify yourself, Lord. Glorify your name in my life. I don't know what's going to happen here, but I do trust you. You know, the trial, you know, in the trial you find out what you really believe. And I've been doing this for a long time. I've known many so-called Christians who left. Trial came into their life. Tragedy came into their life. God didn't perform adequately in their estimation. They're just gone. They're just gone. It, it happens all the time. But God's people, God's people, learn how to pray like Jesus. And we remember what Jesus said to Martha in John 11. If you believe, what? When it's really hard, when it all comes down, it's all, everything's come down. Every, it seems like everything that could go wrong has gone wrong. What did Jesus say to Martha? If you believe, what? If you believe, you will see the glory of God. Jesus, of course, knew He would see the glory of God. <laughs> Jesus, of course... Believe. So what will you do the next time your heart is troubled? I pray that we take the lesson from Jesus. The Father says, I have glorified My name in Your holiness. He, he, the Lord speaks and He says, um, I have both glorified it and will glorify it. He, God has glorified Himself through the, the works and words of Jesus and He will glorify Himself through the finished work of God's atonement for His people on the cross. Verse 29, again, the people thought it thundered or they thought an angel had spoken. 
verse 30 and 31, Jesus answered and said, This voice has not come for My sake, but for your sake. Now judgment is upon the world. Now the ruler of this world shall be cast out. So how will God glorify Himself in the life of Jesus? There are are at least three things here that we see in the text. The judgment of the world. The judgment and casting down of Satan. And the redemption of, of God's people through the work of Jesus. So God will glorify Himself and Jesus Christ through this work. So the cross is at hand. Jesus says judgment is upon the world. So we've asked this question in the Gospel of John several times. Did Jesus come to save or judge? What's the answer? Pardon me? Yes. The answer is yes. Uh, I won't go to the text, but if you want to read the text, John 3, 17-19 and John 12. We'll see it next week. John 12, 47-48. The answer is yes. There are places where Jesus says, I've come to judge. There are places where Jesus says, I've come to save. He's come to do both. If you reject Him, you will be judged. You will be judged. The wrath of God will land on you for a billion eternities. This is the clear teaching of the Bible. You say, Jim, I, I, I don't like that teaching. It doesn't matter if you like it. It doesn't matter if I like it. Did God say it? And so you have to have some sense of, do you believe, you know, the argument always goes back to, well, I don't believe the Bible is the inerrant Word of God. And I say, well, I do. Okay? And let me ask you how much homework you've done on that. How much research have you done on it? Have you looked at the original languages? Have you, have you looked at how the books were preserved and how the books came to be a canon? Have you looked at it? What do you know about the Bible? Have you seen the fulfilled prophecy from Old Testament to New Testament? Tell me the truth. How, what, what do you know about the Bible? They don't know anything. But they don't believe it. Right? Beloved, I was telling someone earlier, this is God's gift to you. It's the Word of God. He means for you to eat it. It's your bread. It's your drink. <laughs> you, you, you know, athletes, they don't show up at the Olympics emaciated. They show up in top condition. And you can't be a disciple unless you're eating this. You just, you just, you can't. You will not do it. So, verse 31, and of course the judgment extends to Satan as I mentioned earlier. The world is judged and the ruler of this world is judged. I love what John Piper says about this American preacher. Let me share it with you. The fact that Satan has been judged. So we are free from the fear of death. The accuser has gone. We have no accuser anymore. The people of God have no accuser. Right? Satan's the great accuser. Piper continues, and God means for our ultimate safety to have an immediate effect on us. It's supposed to affect us every day. He means for the happy ending to take away the slavery and fear of the now. If we, do not, if we do not need to fear our last and greatest enemy, death, then we do not need to fear anything. We are free for joy. Rejoice always. Rejoice always. Verses 32 to 33. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death 
by which he would die. Of course, this text is not teaching that all men will be saved. If you have even a superficial understanding of the Bible, the Bible does not teach that all men will be saved. That's not what Jesus is saying. He will draw all men, meaning men from every nation, tongue, and tribe. He means it in the sense that He meant it in John 6, was it 37? Um, yes, John 6, 37 and uh, John 17, 2. All that the Father gives me shall come to me. So all that the Father has given Him will come to Him. Don't make the error of universal... Um, Salvation is simply... I, I run into a lot of people who believe this. The Bible simply doesn't teach it in any possible logical or intelligible way. Okay? So, if you've been exposed to that error, I pray... I'm happy to talk with you further about it. Verse 34, The multitude therefore answered Him, We have heard out of the law that the Christ is to remain forever, and how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man. We've seen this all the way through the Gospel of John. The arrogance of these men continually to, continuing to debate with God. Um, it's what I encounter all the time. Talking to unbelievers. Every, guess what? You guys know this. If, you, if you're a vocal Christian, everybody knows better than God. Have you discovered this in the world? Well, why did that happen? Why did this happen? Well, He must not be sovereign. Well, He must not be almighty. Well, He must not be good. Everybody knows better than God. If you don't think so, just ask them. They, they could run this universe so much better than God. This is the average indictment of your unbeliever. Right? So they continue to debate with Him. Who is this Son of Man that you speak of? They aren't shy in questioning the incarnate God. They just simply choose to ignore what He says. And I'll just say this to you. You already know it. If you've been in this church very long, you don't get to pick and choose with God. <laughs> you're either all in or you're not in. You know, we had, I won't get into the whole discussion, but we had a young woman in the church one time and, you know, one of those hot button social issues. And she said, well, I'm just going to have to disagree with God there. I mean, can you believe a human being says that out loud? Can you imagine a human being saying that out loud? I disagree with infinite mind. But this is how arrogant this is how arrogant mankind can be. So Jesus, his soul was troubled. He's just like you in this respect. You know what it means when your soul is troubled. You know what it means. And Jesus was facing unspeakable suffering and His soul was troubled. But what does He do? I want you to tell me. What does He do? I don't want you to ever forget what Jesus does when His soul is troubled. What does He do? Tell me, please. Anyone. What does God incarnate do? Father, glorify Yourself. I love you so much. I trust you so much. Whatever you bring, I receive and I will make much of you in it. Can you pray that prayer? That's the prayer God means to hear from you. 
right? You know, it's the Peter thing. Bid me come, Lord, into the midst of the storm. Lord, if that's you in the storm, bid me come. (laughs) What is Jesus always going to say? When His people say, Lord Jesus, bid me come. What's He always going to say? Oh, be careful. No, stay in the boat. Take care of yourself. Jesus is going to say, come, my beloved, come. Come and walk with me. Fearlessly. Boldly. Courageously. And I will glorify myself in your life. I know, listen, I know. I've made a lot of mistakes. I'm old. Uh, you know, you think it's about your career, you think it's about your spouse, you think it's about your kids, you think it's about your portfolio, you think it's about your reputation, you think it's about your ego, your vanity, your pride. Let, let an old man tell you what it's about. It's about the glory of God. And you will never be sorry when you get on the other side that you chose to glorify God in your circumstance. You will not be sorry. Like I said last week, (laughs) or was it the week before? You won't be sorry you didn't buy the Beamer. You won't be sorry. I'm not saying you're going to hell if you buy a Beamer. But I'm saying, you know, some people weigh these things out. It's like, well, do I get the Beamer or, you know, do I make a uh, sacrificial offering? What do I do? Um, You won't be sorry. You won't be sorry. So, if you... You know, want to learn to, to walk like Jesus. You got to trust the Father. You got to believe the Father. You got to believe He's better than anything life can give. And you got to believe He's better than anything death can take. So, Father, glorify your name in my life and in my circumstances. That's the prayer I hold out to you tonight. I ask you to pray it. Okay? Without reservation, <laughs> without fear. He's a good and awesome God. He knows how to take care of His people. I'll close with John 15.11. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you that My joy may be in you. He says, If any man would follow Me, let, me, let him take up his cross and follow Me. And then He says, I'm going to give you My joy. Some of you can't quite reconcile that in your head. (laughs) It sounds antithetical. No, that's the path. That's the path. That's the path. You know, as I said last week, there's a death to be died before you can live the life God has. And that death is to superficial things, to live unto eternal and infinite and glorious and godly things. So, Will you join me in memorizing 1 Thessalonians 5.16? Let's see if anyone can remember word for word 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Someone share it with us, please. Rejoice always! Even when it's hard, rejoice always! Let Christ be beautiful on the hard day. Let Him be beautiful. Let your kids see it. Let your friends see it. Your spouse see it. Rejoice always. Sorrowful, Paul says. I'm sorrowful, but I'm always rejoicing, beloved. If you know the living God, you understand. So that's a challenge for all of us. Let's pray together.
Lord God, thank You for this great text. Thank You for this prayer. Father, some of us in here need to put down our self-reliance. We need to put down our kind of mindless conformity with the world. We need to put down any erroneous thoughts of that as a, as a redeemed man or woman, my life is about anything less than the glory of God. We need to put down all fear, all frustration, all anxiety. And we just simply need to learn how to pray like our Lord Jesus prays. Father, glorify Yourself in this. Help us, Father. Help us to grow to this place. Father, we want to know You like this. We want to trust You like this. We want to believe You like this. Help us, Father, we pray. Help us, we pray. We want to make much of Jesus. For we do believe He's better than anything this life can give and He is better than anything death can take. We believe it. We confess it. So we love You. We love You with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We love You. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.